Welcome to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and challenged today as you listen to a message from one of our speakers. Prepare your heart and get ready to receive a word from God today. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 for the talk today. 1 Corinthians is kind of, I think, toward the middle of the New Testament. So if you go toward Bible separated in kind of two halves, there's the Old Testament, which is the story of God before Jesus came on, and then the New Testament, which begins in the book of Matthew, uh, tells the story of Jesus, and then some more teaching about God and Jesus and stuff like that. So, if you get into the New Testament, there's a book called 1 Corinthians, we'll be in 13. I do want to emphasize, before we get into the talk, just a little bit about the opportunity for baptism that's coming up. Several reasons that you may want to consider getting baptized if you've recently made a commitment to Jesus, like the first time ever, you're like... I need a Savior, and I need forgiveness, and I want God in my life. Uh, it's, a, it's a really important step to uh, be baptized. It's connected a lot with commitment to Christ to get baptized. So uh, that could be a good reason. Also, if you've been, maybe you've been baptized in the past or made a commitment, but then you did this wander thing where you left, forgot about God for longer than you should have, and you've been away. And oftentimes, a way to recommit your life to Jesus Christ and to God. Sometimes that is connected to baptism. One other thing, uh, around here, sometimes there'll be people go into a new season of life or just a uh, kind of a new encounter with God, and baptism can be a response to that. I know uh, some years back, uh, seven years ago, I got baptized here at the church, which was kind of confusing to people because they were like, aren't you the pastor? And then, but I had been a Christian for 30 years, and uh, on my 50th birthday, I know I don't look near that old, but, <laughs> yeah, right. Some of you are like, 50? I thought you were 79. Yeah, say, appreciate those warm, warm, fuzzy thoughts. Um, but at 50, I thought, wow, I've been a Christian for 30 years, and I, it was probably a moment like this where we were going into a baptism, and I just felt like the Lord said, are you in for another 30 years if you live that long? And I'm like, yeah. And so I got baptized again. So those are some reasons. Please do think about it. It can be a very important uh, uh, spiritual step and a great way to honor God. If, you, if you're curious about that, there's at the Resource Center, if you're here on site, a quick sign-up sheet. Just sign your name and stuff, and someone will contact you to make sure you're signed up for a, one of the classes. It's just a single class to explore baptism. Or you can do the whole thing just by going to the website, thevineyard.info. Enough said about that. 1 Corinthians 13. Introductory thought has to do with a song that was made popular in the 90s, although I have heard that somebody recorded it before then. The one that I knew about uh, was a, a singer named Michael Bolton. And even though this is in the 90s, even if you're young, 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 you may have heard this song because it was, it's been used in movies and such. And so I guess we're, we're just doing the one screen today. When a man loves a woman. Not, can anybody know the song? Yeah. When a man loves a woman. Right, wait, wait. Let's go back. Shall we sing it together, those of you that know it? Ready? <clears throat> when a man loves a woman. We don't know the rest, but we just know that phrase. Except for Michael Bolton with the hair, he did it real high, like, like a rock and roller in the 90s. Like, when a man loves a woman. And he like did it that way. Don't encourage me. 
Then, the, you know, going into the key change, when a man. And then he would go, yeah. And we'd be like, where's my date? I want a date. Anyway, never mind. Some of you had dates. I just was like, where's my date? All right, let's go on. And so it had these characteristics of the writer's impression of what it looks like when a man loves a woman. So up on the screen, he can't keep his mind on nothing else. He'd trade the world for the good thing he's found. If she is bad, he can't see it. She can do no wrong. Turn his back on his best friend if he puts her down. And it's right, so that was the song. Did, any, did the young people, did anybody, even if you're young, do you remember that? No. How many of you are so young, you're like, what the heck are you old people doing? Okay. It, that, use that to introduce the question for us all to consider, what do you think love looks like? Which calls, <laughs> of course, reminds me of another old song. What's love got to do, got to do with it? but people don't remember that one either. Okay, but that's not what we're talking about. What do you think love looks like? Probably two aspects, two things come to mind. One is we lean toward the romantic side of love, and we might think of things like romance and roses and kisses and physical attraction. If we think of it in the broader sense, we might think of love as kindness, compassion, sacrifice, service. All those things are possibly wonderful ideas connected to love. Uh, we might think of people who have been good examples of love. I had coffee with a friend of mine in the last couple of weeks. His name is Kent. Here's a picture of Kent and his wife, Leanna, and his son, uh, Benjamin. And Leanna, uh, over the last few years, has begun to suffer severely with a debilitating brain disease. And so uh, now, in this season... Uh, she has lost uh, her ability to communicate, uh, is living life in a wheelchair, uh, and most all of her needs are being met by uh, Kent, who took a leave of absence and now is full-time full trying to take care of her. I got the privilege of having an hour to meet with him. We've been friends for a while. He got some respite care, and we had one hour to talk about life and have coffee together. And, and Kent, is a, he's a tough guy. He's a good guy. And, and he got teary-eyed, I think, at least eight times in a one-hour conversation because of some of the things that he's facing and doing well. And I was thinking about Kent when I was thinking, what does love look like? He said to me during that conversation, these may be his exact words. He says, I stood at an altar and made a vow to God, for better or worse, I will fulfill it. And like, that's one of the examples that comes to my mind when I think of what does love look like? We could transition that question a little bit and ask it this way, what does God's love look like? If God were to describe it, what would he use in the definition? By the way, God's pretty into love. Some verses, John 3, 16, which a lot of us know, for God so loved the world. 1 John 4, 7, 
let us love one another, for love comes from God. Psalm 86 describes God as abounding in love. And Romans 5, 5 has an interesting verse. It's talking to followers of Jesus. And it says, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. What the heck does that mean? So I was thinking about that, and I was reminded of when I first became a Christian. I was 20 years old. Some of you know that story. I went up to an altar uh, in response to an invitation, I really didn't know what I was doing much, but I ended up, that it was the first time I ever remember praying a prayer out of my personal need. It was like, I am a mess, I need help. And I asked a man to pray for me. And with just that simple prayer, uh, which, which I think was a cry out to God, I began, I began to bawl like a baby. I just cried and cried. And now in hindsight, I'm like, what was that? And I wonder, do I know exactly? I don't know. But I wonder whether some of that was not, you know, some of the sadness for all the sinful things that I had done. Maybe that's part of why I was crying. Maybe uh, it was uh, uh, God's forgiveness that can wash away all the sin in my life. Maybe that. But I wonder if some of it wasn't God pouring out his love through his spirit into my life. So hold all those thoughts. We are in the second week of this series called Encounter, and we're exploring some principles in this verse in the book of 2 Timothy, it's chapter 1, verse 7, that says, the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, Pastor Steve talked about that last week, love, that's our topic this week, and next week the topic will be self-discipline. And so we're going to explore what this spiritual God-given love looks like. Just a little side note, that uh, I think that this is a, an important topic because it's my observation, a bunch of us are trying to figure out the love thing. Uh, I was doing a little bit of research, and there was an article tiled, uh, titled, What Has America Been Singing About? And it listed the, for the last 50 years, and the top, it, for, as I read it, it the, the top topic for songs, love and relationship. And if, you, does this make sense? There are a lot of, we spend a lot of time trying to figure out the love thing. I also had this thought, sometimes our most hurtful or messed up areas of life have to do with some kind of a, we thought it was love thing, or they said it was love thing, and instead it just became a mess and painful, and we can get messed up by a misunderstanding of love. Would anybody acknowledge that? No? Am I just an idiot here? Does that? Like, that happens. And so, this idea of how does God define love and can we tap into God's love, I think is super important and should be helpful. So, 1 Corinthians 13, this is a, uh, like many of the books of the Bible, it's trying to teach us who God is and how to follow Him. And in this chapter, yeah, I should probably say this too. The chapter before, 
chapter 12, is talking about spiritual gifts, supernatural ways that God works in people's lives. The chapter after, chapter 13, 14, is also talking about spiritual gifts and supernatural things. Wedged right in, in between that conversation is this chapter on love, and it's going to emphasize the importance of love, and then we're going to look at the characteristics of love. Verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give my body over to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. And here's the part we're going to focus on. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered, and it keeps no records, record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. So the title of the talk this weekend is Encountering Love. I'm going to focus on two results or characteristics of an encounter with God's love. So let's pray, and then I'll give you a couple ideas. Father, feels like we, need, we just need help with this. <laughs> it's like every weekend, you know, we just need help. Uh, so I just pray that you would somehow, in the midst of this, pour out love on us and pour out insight into what your love looks like. Do it in such a way that we're changed and affected by our time together. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So I have two ideas here. First one is this, an encounter with God's love, first thing, reveals his, what we're going to call his quieter side. Now that'll make sense, I hope, in a minute or two. Reveals his quieter side. What I'm trying to do here is in verse 4 and 5 where it says love is patient and kind, not envy, not boast, not proud, doesn't dishonor, is not self-seeking, not easily angered. I'm, I'm trying to come up with kind of a, a, a statement of summary for if you put all those things together, what does that look like? And so I, I'm landing on this. It's the quieter side of God. So let me try to illustrate that. The first thing Love is patient. So I'm submitting to you is patient compared to other things is rather quiet. Than, so if, you're pati if, if you've experienced a patient person at the uh, grocery store self-checkout where all of a sudden there's a big long line. And so the patient person would be the person who would, would step aside because, you know, you've only got chips. And, you're, and they would say, Oh, you go ahead. That's what a patient, they wouldn't say, go ahead. Does that make sense? 
No, that's not what patience, patience looks and feels by definition. It's like, oh, go ahead. Does that, no? Did that make sense? Patience is a quiet kind of a virtue by nature. It's not loud. When I think of uh, in the text, it does not boast, it is not proud. Boasting and pride tends to be connected to a louder person. If you go to the easily angered and keeps no record of wrongs, okay? No record of wrongs. Have you ever been in the wrong lane somewhere and it was your fault? Like, it, it's just, it's on you. So, uh, I think it's been a year or two ago, I had wandered into the center lane and uh, Mr. Monster Truck Driver thought it was his lane, which, by the way, it was his lane. I was wandering into his lane. And he was not quiet at all about describing to me my mental state. And he was showing me his fingers, all kinds of fun ways. And yet, you know, ah, it was very clear that I was in the wrong. And he was keeping record of the fact that I was in the wrong. So if you compare that to someone, have you ever met anyone when you're in the wrong lane or you happen to get the nose of your vehicle out into the, like you're just too far out in the middle of a track, in the traffic. Have you ever found anyone who tends to not keep records of that wrong and they're like, it's okay. You just, you just sit there. I'll go around. Some of you are like that. Some of you need prayer because this is not the way you operate at all. But you're, right, you're, doesn't that make sense? It's, you know, love is patient, is kind, is not boastful, keeps no records of wrongs. It's the quieter side of life, and we're, we're giving that to God. Here's, so here's the idea. It's a fill in the blank. This is exciting to me. When it comes to God's children, those who experience Jesus Christ, especially those who have experienced Jesus Christ, he rarely raises his voice. He rarely raises his voice. Now, it doesn't say he never raises his voice, because there are some times in the Bible where God gets loud. Old Testament examples, there's some New Testament examples. Jesus... When he, um, in John 2, this is where people in the church or in the temple uh, were spending way too much time and paying way too much attention to making money instead of doing the things they should have been doing in the temple, which was praying and worshiping God and all those things. And so it's where Jesus comes in, in verse 15 of John 2, and he made a whip out of cords, and he drove all from the temple courts. And it says, he, get, he said, get these out of here, exclamation point. Stop turning my father's house into a market, exclamation point. So uh, my guess is this was loud. You know, he didn't take his whip and like just go, excuse me. Could we please, hey, excuse me, could I, could I have your attention? That's not the way this worked. It was loud, you know, aggressive. But my observation is most of the time, especially when Jesus is talking to his followers, by the way, you could argue that he was louder with those people. And those were, that was not, he wasn't talking to his disciples. He was talking to a massive group of people. Okay. 
But with his disciples, with his children, he tends to be patient, kind, quieter. I'm going to use an example that may not be the best, probably isn't. But in Matthew 14, this is where Jesus walks on the water. So to, to know what's going on, by the way, and Peter then gets to sort of walk on the water. Uh, the disciples are in a boat. They're trying to get across a lake. It's uh, in, at nighttime. It's windy. Jesus starts walking across the water from the land to get in the same place. The disciples see Jesus walking on the water. They freak out because they think it's a ghost. Jesus says, don't freak. He doesn't say don't freak out, but don't freak out. It's just me. And then Peter has this idea. It says in verse 28, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Pause. This is Peter's idea. This is not, there's no indication that Jesus has this as his plan. This is just Peter with a bright idea. And if you read the story, it really doesn't go great. Because, you know, Peter says, or Jesus says, okay. And Peter gets out, and then he gets afraid. And you probably know this. He gets afraid, and he sees the wind and the waves, and he starts to sink. And he says, help, save me, Lord. And then we're going to focus on, here's what Jesus did. It says, Jesus reached, remember, this is Peter's doing. So, and Jesus reached out his hand and slapped him and said, what the heck are you doing getting out of the boat? That's not what it says. He reached out his hand and he caught him. You of little faith. Notice this. No exclamation point. And then he said, why did you doubt? Now this is very subjective. This is my interpretation. I don't think Jesus was yelling. I think this is normal tone interaction Peter. Why did you doubt? And this reminded me of how many times I deserved, it felt like, I deserved a fairly harsh, loud speech from God. And yet, what I received was way more kind and compassionate than what he would have had to do. Does that make sense to anybody? How many of you have done some stuff that what we deserve was not kind, compassion, quiet. Is it just me? You liars. Right? Like, we've done some stuff. Who wants to share their stuff right now? Right? Somebody, did you want to share your stuff? <laughs> Terry, why don't you stand up and tell us the horrible things that you've done that God should? No, I'm just kidding. Now everybody's going, do we do that at our church? We don't. I didn't think we did that. That seems harsh. So, and I'm so grateful that so much of the time, uh, in fact, I can't, I'm sure there probably have been times, well, I know there have been times when God has been strong, and, but loud is not the way I would ever describe God's interactions with me, even in my worst, stupid, sinful moments. Important verse to know, Romans 2.4 says, God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. That's important to know about God. 
So if we're out wandering around doing stupid, sinful, hurtful things, and we think, well, if God really wants me to quit this, he'll get, he'll make me quit. I would argue he will let us. He will come to us in kindness in hopes of repentance. Please do not bank on the idea, if I get way out there and I'm really going to go to hell, God will grab me by the back of the neck and drag me into heaven. Ain't going to happen. He's cre- oh, this is a real tangent. I can feel it coming. Did you get that? This may be important for some of us to know. God absolutely loves us, but he has wired us and given us so much freedom we can go to hell. Well, no, we, but if God is love, if God is love, then no one will go to hell. That ain't in the Bible. It's a really sweet thought. I love the idea. It's just wrong. Some people are like, wait, wait, what? But my grandma told me that. Well, she was wrong. It, God's kindness, there's something, I really am on a tangent, but there's something about God that would rather have a loving, honest, free relationship with us than God being a God who authoritarianly made it up, controls your life. Gosh, God is not an overly controlling God. He is an inviter God. The book of Revelation somewhere in there says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. It just says, Jesus, I stand at the door and I knock. Doesn't say, behold, I stand at the door and I'll, I'll kick your door down and drag you to church. It's not, he says, I knock. If anybody will open the door, then I'll, what does he say? I'll sup with them. I'll eat with, I'll eat with them. I'll have fellowship. He is relationally driven. And he has this quieter side so much of the time. Finishing up this point, here's a question to consider. When was the last time I thanked God for not being a yeller? <laughs> We should every once in a while say, God, thank you so much for your kindness. Another question to finish the thought is, could I use some gentleness in my life? If you could use some tenderness, love, patience, run to the creator of the universe. That's where you'll find it. So it reveals, an encounter with God reveals his quieter side. We got to go. Uh, it also develops some internal absolutes. Internal absolutes. We're going to talk to finish with this idea of faithfulness or consistency. We're going to be in verse 7, but let me, before we go back to the text, remember Kent and Leanna. Kent is being faithful to his wife. He's being consistent with his love and care. I remember at one point he was describing, this is two weeks ago, it may be worse now, he said, I'm getting four to five hours of sleep a day, and it's coming in 30 to 40-minute spurts. That's how intense the situation is. And yet he's on it. He's going to be faithful, and he's going to, no matter what, I'm going to serve my wife and do this well thing. Something I didn't share earlier is about Kent. Kent is, some of you may have assumed, Kent is a committed follower of Jesus. He has had countless encounters with the loving God. He is, if I were to uh, right now pick 10 people that I've been 
friends, close friends with, that I respect their walk with God. He's a person I would go and say, Kent, help me understand God. He knows God and what I'm trying to paint a picture toward. How do you get to be a person that's kind of like Kent now? You get there because he's had so many encounters with God, the loving God. The loving God, because he's connected to him, has made Kent more like God and more loving. Does that make sense? It's made him more faithful and consistent. Back to the text in verse 7, it says about love, it always protects. It always protects. I'm like, come on, always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Now, if you think of the terms always, you know what my observation is? Can we just be real here? We need help doing anything that consistently. It's easy for us to say, well, I always love my neighbor, and I always honor my spouse, and I always pray for my kids. And we also use the term never. Well, I would never take God's name in vain in front of people. Like, that's the reality. Or, you know, like, well, I would never. Does that make sense? Do we talk about it in those terms? But if you're like me, oh, do we need help establishing some always, some consistency, some faithful things in our life. Is anybody owning some of that? Like, that's hard for us. The secret to getting there is we got to get more of God in us, more of God's love in us. Here's the idea. Authentic encounters with God's love develop our ability to extend love. That's the secret. So should we work on loving more and loving people? And maybe there's merit to that. But another idea that I would tell you today, the secret to you being more faithful and loving and consistent and like to always keeping a co- your covenant or always being kind or always, the secret to that is not necessarily working harder. It is getting better connected and experiencing more of God. And through that, we are transformed somehow more supernaturally by His Spirit than because we read a book that challenges us to do it. By the way, God's the author of this always and never stuff. In Hebrews 13, 5, God says, never will I leave you. And He's not kidding. Like, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Matthew 28, 19, he's telling his disciples to go make a difference in the world. And he says, surely I am with you always. Always be with you. When we connect with God, those characteristics then are developed in us. Last fill in the blank. The love of God brings needed consistency in our lives. Here's how we're going to close. You can remain seated. Um, But in a minute, some of you are going to be done for the day, but others are going to want to participate in a five-minute exercise. As, As people leave quietly, you're going to come up and sit in the first 
one or two, or we, we had people back three rows back uh, last night. And we're just going to pray. I'm going to take my best shot at praying for God to pour out his love in our hearts. And we're just going to invite that into the room. room. So if you're done, I don't want to put too much pressure. You'll know right now, like, I'm going to do that. Uh, then as we uh, close in prayer, you'll just come forward. Others, there's no shame if you're like, oh, I, I'm, I'm done now. I need more coffee. Great, go get your coffee. We're not going to take, take your picture and go, well, I can't believe that. Does that make sense? So let me pray, and then we're going to move into this. It will not last more than five minutes. Promise. I got an eye on the clock. So, Father, bless everybody here. Bless those at home. By the way, people at home, you can participate. You can stay right there in your chair. You could get on your knees in the living room and and just join us. We'll be praying for you as well. But for, for some that are done for the morning, I just pray your blessing on their day today and on their life and pour out your love on them, I pray in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We pray you were impacted by this message. God bless and see you next time.